It's always a great time to support the Drink and Farm podcast. And if you're looking for a way to do that, we suggest you check out our Patreon. Patreon allows you to support the podcast and reap some rewards from outtakes to stickers and annual gifts and also t-shirts. We also have an exclusive weekly segment called Straight No Chaser that is exclusive to our Patreon peeps at the $5 level and above. It is a great way to show consistent support and love to our podcast. So go to patreon.com slash drink and farm to sign up today. Welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for the farming community. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and what we've learned so you can feel less alone in this farm thing. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things. Oh, hey there, Sam. Oh, hey there, Bev. What you drinking today? I am drinking coffee, but it's special coffee because it has goat milk that I hand milked in it. (laughs) (laughs) When you said special coffee, I was thinking you meant like you put booze in it, but your own goat milk is pretty special. Just goat utter juice. (laughs) (laughs) From your own goat. From my own goat's. Yeah, hand milking has been going really well. Good. Yeah, I'm getting like five cups a day from the three goats, even though they're still nursing their kids, which is pretty good. Yeah, I have to go out there with two jars. (laughs) And I'm still just hand milking that and I'm getting that much. So my hands are tired. (laughs) But I'm sure they're getting stronger and stronger every day. They are. Yeah, they're getting stronger and stronger every day. The goats are getting more into the routine every day, which is good. Yeah, it's been an enjoyable experience this year so far (laughs) good good that's super important yeah it is so what did you open over there so i am having another bolt house farm smoothie Ooh, that one's aurora's favorite she's obsessed with mangoes. yeah so amazing mango because apparently mango is really good for you when you're pregnant but i found that i don't like eating it so much the texture is a little hard for me so it was okay when i had it but when I found this, I was like, ooh, because it's got all kinds of good stuff. So it's mangoes, apples, and oranges. Lots of sugar again. <laughs> so I might have a sugar bus. Some of it's naturally occurring. It's all <laughs> naturally occurring, actually. Oh, nice. So we are healthy today again. But yes, very good. I like those a lot. May I suggest frozen mangoes if you did not like fresh mangoes? Oh. Because Aurora is obsessed with mangoes. It's like her favorite food on the entire planet. And so every week she gets a bag of frozen mango from the grocery store to have as a snack. And she just like pulls out a handful, puts it in a bowl, lets it thaw, and then eats them with a fork or her fingers. That would probably be a little like smushier. Mm -hmm. So that might be better. Because it's not the flavor I don't like. It was just that it was like... As the texture. Well, it's because they pick them early. So they aren't ripe yet. But when you buy frozen vegetables or fruit, they're usually flash frozen like at their peak ripeness. Typically, that's what they're going for. Yeah. And then it won't just like rot away in my fridge either if I forget about it. Yeah. Okay. I might have to do that. That's exactly right. Our drink peep this episode is our friend Jenny Beck, and she is at Beck's Boots to Roots over on the Instagram. So cheers, lady. Cheers. Alrighty. 
we have a bit of a correction. I'm going to blame my pregnancy brain on this one. (laughs) (laughs) We did a mini-sode. I think it came out a little bit ago, and we kind of got our advertisers and our drink peep mixed up a little bit because I was looking at the wrong month when I filled it all out. So you might hear... (laughs) some shifts in our drink peep and our advertising maybe you won't even notice maybe we didn't even need to mention this (laughs) but if somebody did notice i didn't want them to be offended or feel like we forgot about them nope sam just has pregnancy brain and didn't double check her homework (laughs) totally understandable (laughs) we also had it labeled the wrong number for a hot Mm -hmm. minute too more than a hot minute, it wasn't until the day it was released that somebody pointed out we had it at the wrong number, and it wasn't even either of us that noticed it. <laughs> no, this is why we have helpers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is why we need a team. Yeah, I think even, like, the the thing on YouTube that's, like, before you see our beautiful faces, I think that's even the wrong number. But, you know, <laughs> we're human. Yep. Not just with the farm stuff. We're human with all the things. So it's true. It's true. Just wanted to throw that out there um, to let you know we didn't forget anybody. It was just an oops. Mm-hmm. Oopsie. All right. Now moving on to something more fun. It's our honey and root corner. Hooray! 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 So we got our March honey and root boxes, and I want to know what Bev's favorite thing was this month. All right. So my favorite thing out of the box is this adorable little metal chick thingy. I haven't decided what I'm going to do with it, but it is a super cute, like, metal molded chick. It's a decoration of some kind. I think I'll end up mounting it on something, but it is just, like, way too cute. So, yeah, I like this. I think it's fun. It's different. I just need to figure out what I want to do with it. Maybe I'll just hang it on the wall. And it's shiny. Yeah. Mine has lots of rust on it. Mine does too. Yeah. It's cute. I wonder if you could like glue a magnet to the back of it. Oh, and like put it on the fridge. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I was kind of thinking it could like maybe go on one of my walls because I've got some metal art <gasps> yeah. up there. So. Ooh. Yeah. So many possibilities with this little chicky poo. Yep. So what was your favorite thing out of the box? <sighs> so I really liked about uh, liked the fresh egg cookbook. Ooh, ah. Because my girls have started laying again, but I need to start proactively going out there every day to collect the eggs because they keep getting frozen. <laughs> yeah. And breaking, and I like need to put that back in my routine. But there's all kinds of stuff in here, which I welcome because, again, eggs are pretty good for you while you're pregnant, as long as you're not allergic, I guess. But kind of get tired of just having scrambled eggs and hard-boiled eggs. So I'm excited to maybe try out some new recipes that involve lots of eggs because I'm about to be swimming in them. Yeah. I mean, there's like there's ice cream recipes in here. What? Which is awesome. I did not see that. Yeah. Oh, and meringue cookies. So my 16-year-old taught me how to make meringue right the other day. <laughs> I didn't understand what stiff peaks meant. <laughs> yeah. I definitely had to Google that one before. Yeah. So he showed me. And so now like my waffles and anything else that takes like a meringue, a total game changer. And meringue takes a ton of eggs. Yeah. My chickens are all laying now too. <gasps> Ooh, there's a bread pudding recipe in here and creamy egg custard. 
I've got goat milk and I've got eggs I can put in this. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so definitely, I think you're able to go to the Honey and Rue website and just buy this box. You might even just be able to buy this book. Don't take my word for it. Go look. I'm not sure if it's up there separately, but this covers every possible meal you could think of. It also tells you how to make mayonnaise, how to make dressings. So, oh, neat. Yes. So definitely go check this out. Yeah, I'm basically not doing our episode anymore. I'm just flipping through this book. I'm obsessed. (laughs) I'm really excited about these popovers. I went to Maine and had popovers, and I have a popover pan. They're pretty amazing. Ugh. See, now I just want all the food. I'm hungry. Yeah, me too. Gosh darn it. When are we going to be done with this episode? (laughs) As soon as you put the book down. (laughs) I just put mine down, so we did that together. Okay, Okay, good. Okay, moving on. What else did we get this month? Okay, so we got some refills for our Hentastic poultry treat thing. The treat holder was in a past Henny and Rue box. I love that we get a refill on these every now and then because chickens love them. Yeah, and if you don't have the holder, you could always just like, I don't know, put it on the ground because, I mean, chickens eat mice, so Mm -hmm. they'll probably eat it off the ground. They totally will. We also got another 3-in-1 vitamin, electrolytes, and probiotics, which is great because I just got meat birds in the mail a little bit ago, last week, last week. So they're a week old now, but this is always the first thing I give them. So I used one and now I already have another one. Super pumped about that. Nice, nice. Yeah, I don't have any poultry on order this year, so I don't think I'll be raising any baby poultry. I did send duck eggs <laughs> to uh, a local school to be hatched, and I told them that if they didn't have homes for the baby ducks, I would take them back. We'll see. So you don't have any planned poultry. No planned new poultry. <laughs> I know. We also got this keychain, which is super cute. A little chicken. I'll put my tractor keys on it. And then we also got a pretty big bag of sunflower and raisin flock party. This is huge. Yeah, it's heavy. Like, I feel like I could hit somebody with this and it might leave a welt. But the chickens will be excited because it's a whole two pounds. So probably what I'll end up doing is on a nice sunny day, just yelling chickens off my back porch and dumping this on the ground and it'll be gone in five minutes. Because I have that many chickens. (laughs) And every box comes with a nesting box liner, which is super handy. Eco-friendly packaging, and I use them in the nesting box in our cutest coop to keep eggs clean and chickens comfortable. All right, so if you want to go check out this month's box or just get signed up for the April box, go to honeyandroot.com, and you can use code DRINKANDFARM to get 10% off your first box. All right. I am excited about today's episode because I haven't gotten this far into my planning yet. Like to the point of writing it down, I've thought about it. So I'm excited to talk through some more like of the details today and maybe start to understand the best way to get a plan together. So we're going to talk about crop rotation today. Doesn't that sound sexy? Crop rotation. It does. It sounds so sexy. So sexy. And most of you are probably like you two are nuts. (laughs) But we found this article on almanac.com. I think it'll complement the bullet journal episode really well. So if you have a bullet journal or something that you're tracking your gardening stuff in this year, definitely break that out. 
unless you're driving, don't do this while driving, but this would be a good time to maybe take some notes or start drawing some pretty pictures of what you want to go wear based on what you had last year. So it's good to have a picture of what reality was last year. So you don't have to like try to look at pictures and squint and remember because that was probably a long time ago now. It was. And a little later in this episode, I'll show how I put the crop rotation thing in my garden bullet journal because I did do that already. And so if you're listening to this, you can go to YouTube and fast forward to the point where I talk about showing it. And then you can get a visual of my crop rotation portion of my garden bed planner. It's very colorful. (laughs) Yay. I like it. (laughs) Yeah. So if you're wondering what we're talking about, and you've just been growing your garden veggies in the same bed year after year, you definitely want to listen to this episode because we're going to tell you why thinking about crop rotation might be a good idea. And I've always known that you should rotate your crops, but the truth is the way that I do my garden bed planning, it's very like, I like a wild looking garden. So I tend to intercrop things rather than plant all plant families together. But later in the episode, I'll tell you how I'm going to make it work so that I can have the best of both worlds because I think that I can. And by putting it all down visually was how I got to that point where I figured out that I might be able to do that. So in the mad rush to get the garden planted in the spring, it's really easy to forget all about crop rotation because um, you're kind of excited. Just get your seeds in the ground. <laughs> yeah, start growing that food. Yeah, exactly. But crop rotation is really important because it helps you slow the spread of garden pests and plant diseases throughout your garden. So if you've had a lot of trouble with both or either, looking at rotating your crops is one of the ways that you can try to prevent those things pre-season this year. And your plants will thank you for it because they'll grow stronger and they will yield more produce for you if you are rotating where you are planting them. All right. So what exactly is crop rotation? So the concept is actually really simple. It's the practice of not planting the same crops in the same place back to back years. So it's pretty simple in the explanation, but logistically, this might be kind of tricky to wrap your brain around depending on your space. Yeah. (laughs) Or your method. Last year, I called my garden a chaos garden. Because I kind of went everywhere with things, but luckily I did write down what went where. So I I can execute this really well, (laughs) but I really liked kind of the whimsical look too. So I totally get where Bev's coming from there. So depending on your preference in gardening, (laughs) this may be a little simple or might get a little technical for you. But again, by not planting in the same spots, this is going to help you with your pest and disease issues. If you move the crop, the pest or disease has no host on which to live. So, I mean, that sounds pretty idyllic to me. Like, I feel like the pests are pretty smart still. So depending on where you move it or how far away it is, they might still find it. But you're giving them a bit of a challenge. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they're having to try to find it while they're in their early stage and it's still really cold. And um, there's still a chance of frosts. So from that perspective, you have a better chance of having more of them die off than if you had planted baby seedlings the perfect size for a little tiny larva to munch on in that same exact spot where they overwintered all year. Yeah. So you're at least slowing them down or 
decreasing their numbers. So that is worth it. When you're thinking about like soil-borne diseases, they can build up years after of growing the same plant in the same place too. So you're going to break that cycle by moving them. It might not cure all of your disease problems, but it can definitely help. Ideally, you're going to rotate a vegetable or vegetable family so that it grows in a particular place once every three to four years. So you're not just thinking a year in advance, necessarily, you're thinking a couple. So that's something to consider with your space and stuff too. But don't beat yourself up too badly if it's just not possible yeah (laughs) with what you want to grow in your space but that should be a good goal to try to think through that rotation every three to four years yeah exactly and one thing that's really nice is if you go through this process of so Sam and I want to have these like whimsical gardens where it doesn't look like everything's like in a straight row and it's the exact same things only in one bed. So what you can do is you can kind of pair your crop families together that work well intercropped, have the look that you're going for and can be rotated together ideally so that you're just moving that same look and that same companion planting plan every year. And that will actually cut down on your garden planning in subsequent years. So this year, you'll do that work to get that figured out. Everything isn't going to work the way that you want it to. So you might have to make a change to your plan for next year. So be a little flexible. But I think that in the long run, you'll eventually just get to pull out your garden planner and you're like, all right, it's year three. So now this bed is in this bed but you get to use the same plan so you know what seeds you need and all of that stuff. And one of the things to really think about too is for a successful crop rotation, you want it to keep it in the family. Mm-hmm. Which might sound a little weird, but what we mean is that even though tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, and potatoes kind of look nothing alike, they're actually, with the almanac.com article, refers to as kissing cousins. <laughs> so they're in the same botanical family which is the nightshade family. Yep. And for those of you looking for the scientific plant family name, that is Solanacea family. Yeah, I'm going to let Bev pronounce all those today because I did see she went through and did some phonetic writing. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I did that because I wanted to sound like I cared. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm over here like, I'm glad Bev cares because I don't, my brain right now. It hurts. <laughs> no offense to the different families of vegetables. No, no, no. Yes. <laughs> so there are some major family groupings that we're going to talk about in this episode for crop rotation. There are more families than what we're going to talk about, but these are the major ones that have the like have lots of plants in them so that they're not just like one-offs, if that makes sense. So that's why these groupings work really well. So the first one is alliums, which are onions, shallots, leeks, and garlic. The next ones are legumes, green beans, green peas, southern peas, peanuts, soybeans. All legumes are also known as soil fixtures. So they share the benefit of adding nitrogen back into your soil. So when you're thinking about your crop rotation plan, they ideally will go in after a heavy nitrogen feeding plant like plants from the onion family. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, perfect. These are actually written in order for a specific reason. So we'll, don't worry, we will get to that just a little bit later. But first, we have to learn about the families. 
Number three are the brassicas, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, kale, Brussels sprouts, turnip greens, radishes are in this, in this group, which was a surprise to me. Collard greens, Chinese cabbage, mustard greens, collards, all of those share pest issues. And in some areas, you might need to net these plants in order to block cabbage moths. And they also need nitrogen-rich soil. So you plant these after the legume family. Nightshades are number four. So those are the tomatoes, eggplants, peppers, and potatoes. And they're heavy feeders that need rich soil. And they are all affected by the same diseases. So you don't want to follow like tomatoes after potatoes, even though they look nothing alike and they don't even grow in a similar way. Like you think you're doing like a vining and then a, a root afterwards. So you're like, oh, perfect. I'm breaking the soil up in this different way. No, not with those two. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next are the umbellifers. Those are carrots, parsnips, fennel, parsley, and dill. And number six are their cucurbits. I always have a hard time saying that word. I don't know why. It just doesn't <laughs> flow naturally. It doesn't roll off the tongue. No. <sighs> it's all a back of the throat kind of word. <laughs> Zucchini, summer squash, cukes pumpkins, winter squash melons, so like watermelon and cantaloupe, and gourds. And those are all heavy feeders also that grow best in rich soil. So like I said earlier, there are many more families, but some of them only have one member that you would put in a vegetable garden. So they don't necessarily need like their own specific, you know, rotation, you might just be able to intercrop them with other things that are kind of similar. The examples are things like corn, okra, or sweet potatoes. And like I also mentioned earlier, in a small garden, you want to think about grouping your families together, like putting brassicas with legumes and lettuce, because that'll help make your rotations easier. Mind blown. Whew, that was a lot. But that was all good stuff. I was when you were going through all that, I'm like, I'm going to have to like bookmark these notes to come back to because seeing and hearing the groupings like that, some of them are surprising. Like I didn't even think about carrots and dill being in the same family. And I put them in separate beds last year. <laughs> Not the end of the world, nope. <laughs> but good to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause like you could totally do carrots and dill together because the carrots work down into the soil and kind of break the soil up to aerate it. The dill is growing outside of the ground. So you're getting that wild, you know, herby look in the same area where you're growing carrots, which tend to be kind of shorter to the ground and just have their, you know, green tops. So yeah, carrots, man. I love carrots. I love eating them. They were the most disappointing crop last year because you're like, yes, you're ready. You look great. Like I can see around the top. And then it's just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Carrots are rough. Those are, uh, those are surprisingly harder to grow than I think people give them credit for. Yes. So as always, there are some exceptions to the rule. And in this case for crop rotation, the exceptions are perennial vegetables and herbs. You shouldn't be moving those each year. Since they stay in the ground year-round, so don't think you need to, like, dig it up and move it. Totally (laughs) fine to keep them where they're at. Like, a good example is, like, mint. It spreads real easily and is often best contained to one bed. You do not want that going all over the place. I would even advise just growing that in a container unless you want to have a mint farm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I grow my mint in a container buried in a gardener bed. 
Yeah, I did mine in hanging baskets last year, and that worked out really well, too. And you get a nice smell if, you know, you walk by and run your hands through it. Yeah, so good. Summer dreaming. (laughs) Yes, I know. It hurts. (laughs) Another good example for an exception is, like, asparagus. A reason why you don't grow asparagus is because I'm not patient enough for it, even though I'm sure it's so worth it. But it takes several years for it to be in a spot before it's ready to harvest. So that is like a a long-term relationship that you have to dedicate a space to for something that's probably going to be really, really good in a couple of years. But that instant-ish gratification does not work with asparagus. Nope. Nope, it does not. And then it just makes your pee smell funny. (laughs) What are you really getting out of it? Right. So crop rotation also benefits the health of the soil, structurally speaking. So plants with different root lengths benefit the soil because it aerates it in different ways. So deeply rooted crops like tomatoes and carrots or beets break up the soil, which create channels for air and water while the roots, you know, kind of spread out to seek minerals in the subsoil. So that helps bring them up closer to the surface where other plants can use them next year. And another aspect of crop rotation is alternating heavy feeders or plants that use a lot of nutrients with light feeders, which are plants that use less nutrients because that helps reduce the nutrient demand on your soil. So you won't have to amend your soil quite so heavily. Heavy feeders include things like corn, lettuce, broccoli, tomatoes, and cukes because they require a lot of nitrogen to produce their flowers, fruit, and leaves. So you can give those beds a rest by planting carrots, potatoes, beets, or onions, which don't need quite as much. And you can add nitrogen naturally by planting legumes like peas or beans because they accumulate nitrogen-fixing bacteria to their roots. And in the fall, if you're trying to add more nitrogen into your soil, you don't pull those plants up. You just clip them off and let the roots decay in the soil because they'll leave behind nitrogen that's accessible to next year's plants. So if you've always heard that, like bees and peens, nitrogen fixers, that's how you make them work like a nitrogen fixer. It's not just the planting it. You got to let the roots decay in there too. And that helps increase them. Well, that's a really good tidbit of knowledge because I pulled all mine last year and it was actually like really gratifying to pull those plants out because it gets so big. Mm-hmm. I was going to say I pulled all those plants out too. Yeah. <laughs> now I know though, and it'll actually make garden cleanup a little less crazy, I guess. A little less shoulder intensive. You can just take the pruners and... Yeah, that's good to know. Our flocks love Grovely Farms Fresh Packs. Fresh Packs is great for chickens, ducks, and geese as of 18 to 20 weeks or older. With Fresh Packs, your flock can enjoy a farm-fresh recipe inspired by foods they naturally love. Every pack is rich with essential vitamins and minerals for strong feathers and nutritious, delicious eggs. The ingredients include sustainably harvested black soldier fly grubs, whole grains, sunflower seeds, black seeds, green peas, marigolds, essential vitamins, minerals, and probiotics. As if that wasn't bougie enough, you get to pick between a crumble and a pelleted version, and it ships to your door for free. So head on over to grublyfarms.com and use code DRINKINFARM25, yes, this is new, to get 25% off your first order. So if you haven't done this yet, go do it now. Okay, so 
That was all such good information. I don't know if I could handle more, but here we go. (laughs) We're doing it. Take a sip of your beverage, (laughs) regroup, because now we're going to talk about planning your actual crop rotation in your garden. And depending on the size of your garden, you can plan rotations that cover that three, four, five, six year period. They do recommend at least a three year period. But the cool thing about this is if you don't really have the space right now to do a three year recommended period, maybe start dreaming about some longer term garden goals or get creative with things like containers or like vertical gardening. So don't limit your brain to just what you have this season. Think about some other cool alternatives down the road to make this a little easier on you. So as noted earlier, the best way to rotate annual vegetables is to group them by those plant families, since they all tend to be susceptible to the same pests and diseases, and they also kind of have typically similar maintenance requirements. Like, for example, all the plants in the cabbage family are best grown together, as this makes it easier to net them against cabbage moths and birds. And there's no risk of accidentally passing on crop-specific soil, dwelling pests, and diseases to the next crop when you move it over. So, Bev, what do we do in our garden bullet journal to make our lives easier? Okay, so in your garden bullet journal, what you're going to do is you are going to list out these seven different crop families that I'm going to list out and give you all the information for. We'll take a picture of this and throw it up in our Patreon. So that way people can actually like see this up close, but I'll hold it up to the camera too. So you just pause uh, if you're on YouTube to see it also. So there's seven different families that we're going to talk about and you're going to give them each a color shading. And the recommendation is to shade them like you would a rainbow because the way that you are going to think about your crop rotation is you're going to start with number one and go down the list. And that's how you're going to do your rotating. So this would give you seven years of crop rotation if you had enough space for that. But you can also group some things together. Like for example, I am going to group together my brassicas and my beetroots is one of the things that I'm going to group together. They're actually far apart on the rainbow, but I plant them around the same time so that I can be filling my beds around a similar time. So that's how I'm looking at that. They're also kind of far apart on the rainbow, which means that they're like further apart in the way that they use nutrients in the soil. And (laughs) I don't know if they have any crossover pests, so I won't comment on that. But this is what the rotation looks like. And I will read off everything on there so that everyone knows how to group these seven groupings together. Okay. So number one is purple and it's the onion family, which are also the Aliaceae family. That's the scientific name for it. And it is onions, garlic, shallots, and leeks. Number two is blue. And those are the legumes which are also the leguminosiae, no, leguminosiae, sorry, <laughs> leguminosiae family <laughs> for the scientific pronunciation. Everybody can just take a drink whenever I pronounce it, something wrong, even though I tried really hard. Number three is green, <laughs> and those are the brassicas. The brassicas are brassiaceae family. I mean, it sounds like you've had a few drinks, right? When you're saying, like, some of these scientific names, I wonder if they were drinking when they were Oh, my gosh. 
cabbage, broccoli, <laughs> uh, the choy, so uh, like bok choy, pak choy, kale, Brussels sprouts, kohlrabi, arugula, and radishes go in this family. Also, there's probably more, but I only wrote down the ones that I plant in my personal garden. That was how I did it in my garden planner. Number four is yellow, and those are the nightshade family plants, which are the solanaceae family plants, and those are potatoes, tomatoes, peppers, and eggplants. Number five is orange, and those are the umbelliferae family, and those are carrots, the carrot family. Celery, cilantro, fennel, carrots, parsnips, parsley, and dill go into the orange shaded area number four. Number five is a pink color or, well, they said salmon and I needed pink for another (laughs) one also. So what I had to do on my thing is I actually mixed orange and pink to make salmon on mine so that I didn't have to buy a separate highlighter. So there, I'm showing that to you. (laughs) So that way I had a salmon color. (laughs) So you're like, who has a salmon colored highlighter? And those are the cucumber family plants. And that is the cubertaceae family. Yeah. Zucchinis, cucumbers, melons, pumpkins, and squash all fall under this category. And that's number six. And then number five. Yeah. Six, seven. Yeah. I don't know why they have different numberings on their thing than I wrote down here, but doesn't matter. Number seven is beetroots. And those are chards, beets, perpetual spinach, and true spinach fits into that. And these are the, this is the hardest one to pronounce. I listened to this like a hundred times. Chanapodi, I see, never mind. I don't remember how to do it. Say it. I was just thinking like <laughs> yippee mother effers. Like when I was looking at that, exactly <laughs> what it looks like. That's exactly what it looks like. Oh, I know why their numbering is different. So it's because they've actually given you some suggested pairings if you wanted to pair light colors together. So you could pair purple and blue together, which is the onion family and the legumes. Those are those go would go really well together in the same bed. And then same with your carrot family and your cucumber family plant. So these two right here would go together Uh, well in a bed. That's why they've numbered them that way. I gave them all their own number just because I wanted to make sure that I was grouping the families together correctly. So that's why I did it that way on mine. And then they've also given us a gray shading. I didn't add the gray shading in mine, but I just made a note underneath it for the plants that no rotation was necessary. And that includes things like basil and lettuce and any perennials. And also... Sweet corn was included as not something that required rotation. In an ideal world, I think you would want to rotate sweet corn because of this very specific pest, the corn borer and other like soil borne pests and the fungus, things like that. Like smut. It's the smut, the corn smut. Yeah, exactly. Or corn truffles, if you like it. It's smut if you don't like it. It's truffles if you think it's delicious. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Yes. A little bit of everything for everyone. I love it. Right. But having space to rotate sweet corn isn't, or rotate corn in general, I think for a home gardener is really difficult. My sweet corn patch is my sweet corn patch. 
Same with my pumpkin patch. So I'm just going to have to get really creative with how I take care of pests and diseases in those areas, just because I, I don't have room to rotate those patches around. It, they have weed cloth on them. Everything's spaced and burned properly for the plants to go in. And even with 12 acres, I just, I don't want to prep a whole nother space for that. I just, I just plant twice as much sweet corn if I had two sweet corn patches. <laughs> yes. Exactly, because it's so good. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there is an order of rotation that you can follow, and I'll point it out on my sheet. It's optional, but it does help you make sure that the soil is in the correct condition for the following crop. So when you're looking at your rainbow, working from the inside of the rainbow out, you can see which plants belong together and which should come next in each bed. So the rotation starts with the lilacs and the blues. So those two colors right there, the onion family plants and the peas and the beans, those are commonly grown together, like I mentioned earlier. And once you've harvested your onions and your leeks from your first bed, the next spot in that would be cabbages, cauliflower, and broccoli. So there's your brassicas. So that's what goes next in that spot. And then you would do that so on and so forth in your rotation, or you could just go three years, so down to here, and then start back up here at the top if you wanted to do it that way. So that's an option as well. And plants that are in your miscellaneous or your gray category, which don't necessarily need to be rotated, those are useful for plugging in gaps, helping you make that wild and free garden look that we're both going for. Because they don't tend to suffer really badly from a particular soil-borne pest or disease, and they can fit in anywhere where you have room. But anything in that category that no rotation is necessarily necessary, it is still suggested as a good idea to rotate it when it is possible, just because. So yeah, there's crop rotation in a nutshell. Little bigger than a nutshell, a <laughs> longer episode. Yeah, we'll call that like a coconut shell. <laughs> yeah, coconut shell crop rotation. So I hope that that took something that can feel kind of overwhelming to a new gardener and made it feel a little more accessible. So on my garden planner, here I'll show you. I've got papers falling out of this now. So here's my crop art. I'm sorry, I can't see my fingers. There we go. Okay, so this is my crop rotation. So I've got it right next to my garden planning beds so that I can be flipping back to it to look at it while I'm putting my plan together. And then what I'm going to do is these beds are going to get numbered and I'll number them out in the garden too so that I know which bed is which. And then in the following years, I can just be rotating these beds down. So like this is going to be bed number one this year. And then next year, this will be bed number two and then bed number three and so on and so forth. So right now, the only garden planning I've done is putting radishes with spinach. That's what I did because I get to plant them at the same time. (laughs) Hey, that's more than I've got right now. (laughs) I just keep thinking, oh, I could probably start some tomato plants right now. But my (laughs) so I was I was struggling to feel motivated and inspired by gardening. So I just started my first seeds this weekend and all I have are peppers and tomatoes. And I only have 40 tomatoes and 40 pepper plants, which is like nothing compared to what I normally plant. So kind of scaling (laughs) things back just a little bit this year to make it feel a little less overwhelming. And technically radishes should already be in the ground here in my zone, but I haven't started them yet. 
and then spinach gets to be grown in about a week from today when we're recording it. So I'll probably go out there my next free evening and at least do radishes. Oh, I can do spinach a week later. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Baby steps. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's hard to think about the outdoor garden space, too, when it's so cold out still. Yeah, it is. And well, so we've been having some really nice days. We, we had a 70 degree day this weekend. Oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> but it was 30 this morning. I left the baby goats with the goats this morning because I didn't want to milk when it was 30 degrees because I'm already I'm already getting unacclimated from the cold. So now it's really hard to motivate myself to go out in it because I'm not I'm just not used to it anymore. Once I put my bibs on, though, my coat, I'm fine. I spent an hour out there anyways this morning, so I totally could have milked. But anyways. It's hard, though. It is hard when you have that full spring mm-hmm. effect. Because we had, I think it was like 55, 60 this weekend, but it was super windy on Sunday. So, like, Sunday didn't count. Yeah, it was crazy. But, like, going outside just to let the dogs out feels painful now because <laughs> it was, like, 27 this morning. I'm like, <laughs> what the hell is going on? So I totally get it. Yeah, it's hard. But it did make me think this weekend, though, about it. So I, you know, got a couple of things started. And I'm only a few weeks behind. So in the long run, I don't think it's going to make a big difference. Right. It probably won't. Yeah. I know you think, like, planting really early means that you're going to have, like, the really big healthy plants. But the truth is the plants do best in specific temperatures and soil conditions. So... Unless you have like the perfect seed starting setup that has everything dialed in right for the different seedlings you started, they don't really start taking off until you transplant them into the garden anyways, or get them in their bigger pot on your porch or whatever. But it made me think about how I did my goat kidding season this year, because I was originally thinking I would push all the goats back because I just thought, gosh, it'll be easier on everybody when it's a little warmer and all that. But I realized it's the beginning of March. I'm all done with goat kids. And now I get to focus on selling those goat kids and the garden. And I don't have to be bouncing my attention back and forth. So I'm considering rotating my farm work by the season like grouping them very carefully so that I can dedicate that time and energy to each specific thing that I want to do well in. Um, Because I think that by not splitting my attention too thin, I can really excel at a handful of things on the farm. Right. And then you add in all the other things in your life that aren't farm It adds up really quick if you're not careful. (laughs) Yeah, it does. But if you compartmentalize everything into their couple of months, and that's the only time you do that, it helps you specialize a little better. So that's what's going through my brain right now. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, like I have no newborn goats anymore. Like my youngest baby goat is over a week old now. So everyone's kind of over that hump. (laughs) yeah I have six week olds and I'm like holy crap how's it been six weeks already and then I have another mom that I'm like watching like a hawk because I'm like you got bred through the fence I'm pretty sure (laughs) or when the goats like broke into the girl area it might have been that too I'm gonna guess it was probably that but now it's just like damn it and it does it is kind of like ugh you're just waiting and you know you're going to have to pivot and pay attention to that one thing and it's going to disrupt something else. So at least it's like probably going to be within the next couple of weeks here at the latest. So it won't be too disruptive, but it is really nice to deal with 
kidding when it's warmer out too. Mm-hmm. So you really got to weigh your pros and cons and what's important to your schedule and lifestyle when you're making that decision. Right. My other idea is to split them. So I've, I will have some January, February, and then the other half in maybe June so that I've already got all the transplants in by then. There you go. That would be good. Yeah, and it's not usually too hot in June either. No, it's not. Yeah, early June would be perfect because I can breed them in January because they'll be right around that one year mark. It'll be this year's does that get bred for June. There you go. See, thinking ahead. I am trying so hard to be better this year. We're always scheming. (laughs) All right. So make sure if you haven't yet, you leave us a review. We will read our favorite Apple podcast wouldn't really it's like if you leave a review we're gonna read it because they're all our favorites so we read those from Apple podcast if you don't have an Apple product you can either download iTunes on your laptop leave it that way or you can call and leave us a voicemail that's also an option and that counts too and we'll play those so we take all of the reviews we read or listened to for that month draw a name out of the hat and that person wins an exclusive coffee mug that is not and will never be in our shop Make sure you leave your name or Instagram handle or something that we can like compare to when you reach out to us when you win, and then we'll send you a mug. But we do have a new review. We do! And I'm super excited. Bev, do you want to read this week's review? Sure. So this was left by Still Heidi, and the title is, Like Getting Together with Friends. Love, Bev, and Sam. It's truly like getting together with friends for happy hour, even if it is with V8. I love that. Good. Yeah. I always learn something and always laugh. They are on my weekly rotation of podcast must listens. I mean, I feel like I only have a couple podcasts that I call must listens. So I am honored to be on that list because I know that is a tough spot spot to grab. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I know, too. Yeah. And right now I'm not listening to a ton of podcasts because it's not mowing season yet, but I'll catch up on all my podcasts that I really enjoy. Uh, probably starting about a month. <laughs> yeah, that's what I do, too, in the garden. I just either bring a speaker out or my headphones. So, yeah, totally get it. But thank you for leaving us that podcast review. So nice. And make sure you hit the subscribe button and download the episode when you listen. This helps more people like you find our podcast. And make sure you go check out the show notes. They're at drinkandfarm.com slash 195. You'll find links to the articles we discussed, a survey to tell us how we're doing, all of our social media goodness, and our merch shop. So go do that. Yes. All right. So that's it for today. Mm-hmm. We hope you learned a lot. Make sure you check out the YouTube video of this so you can see Bev's pretty drawings and her salmon highlight color that she made all by herself totally (laughs) worth it yeah so until next time drink farm and and give zero zero clucks bye now we drink things we farm things we drink and farm things